Aaron Ralston, when telling the story of how he found himself trapped beneath a boulder, says that we always choose what we want. He wanted to know what it would be like to put his life in danger, and so, perhaps subconsciously, he put himself in a position to find out what it would be like to have his life on the line. Me? I'm climbing up the high pass of the Misty Mountains, just hoping this particular mountain has no loose boulders. It has giants, bears, snow beasts, evil dwarves, evil men, wargs, and really nasty weather, but no, no loose boulders yet. I'd say my virtual life is still on the line, though. I think back to the ride up. Sunset Orange paves a path of gold up the mountainside, along the way called Kirith and Ladris. I blink twice, clearing my eyes, having thought that I spied the footprints of 13 dwarves and a hobbit. Nope, just snow beast tracks. The valley of Rivendell below crosses into a blur of trees, evergreen and autumnal colors, masking the refuge of elves below. That extra helping of hope and light and joy and rest seeps out in a slow dribble. I am out of the realm of Elrond. The soft earth of the Trollshaws mingles with snowdrifts and then vanishes altogether in a landed cloud of white crunching beneath the hooves of my horse. It's a clear path, one used countless times for time out of mind by dwarves, elves, men, and hobbits one of several passes over the mistiest of mountains. Where did they come from, and what threats lie ahead? Let's find out in under 127 hours. It's the Misty Mountains, and you are listening to Beneath Your Feet. The Valar, the powers, the gods with little g's and no o's, formed Middle-earth, shaping it after the song of Eru Iluvatar, that's god with a big g and a big o. Nastiest and fallenest of these powers was Morgoth, nay Melkor, the enemy of all, Sauron's old boss, and evil lord extraordinaire. Once Middle-earth had been crafted, as we know, it went through many changes over the ages. By their immense power, the Valar could break and shape the world almost at will. It happened in the Age of the Lamps, then again when they fled and created their island home of Valinor in the Age of the Trees, again after the War of Wrath, when Beleriand was sunk, and on we go. Melkor, being the mightiest of the Valar, had this power himself, and in the First Age of Middle-earth, he thrust up the Misty Mountains as barrier to Orome, the Hunter. Why? Because hunters hunt, of course, and Orome's favorite sport was the wicked beasts that Melkor had been fashioning in the depths of his little shop of horrors. It slowed the Great Huntsman down, of course, but could not stop him. Nor could it stop the elves from crossing into Eriador and then Beleriand on their trek westwards. Nor could it stop the dwarves from being roused in the northern end of the Misty Mountains and then building Khazad Dûm about midway down. There's a lot of history tied up in these hills, so let's set the stage with a brief overview of the geography. The Misty Mountains create the easternmost border of Eriador and the westernmost border of Ravanian. The northernmost peak of the mountains is Mount Gundabad on the borders of Angmar, said to be the place where the seven dwarf fathers awoke those thousands of years ago. Now it is a stronghold for the goblins of the mountains. As a side note, the goblins of the mountains are still orcs, they're just the runtier, darker cousins of the orcs of Mordor and Isengard, and other rogue bands of orcs that roam the world. The southernmost point is Methodris, meaning last peak, and is depicted in Lotro on the edge of Dunland as a home to one of the Dunlending tribes. At the very tip of the southern end is the Gap of Rohan, 
a valley between the end of the Misty Mountains and the beginning of the White. In roughly the middle are the three most noteworthy peaks, Fanwithal, Celebdil, and Carathris the Cruel. I choose here to use their Sindarin names, but they're also called Redhorn, Cloudy Head, and Silverteen. Together, they create the Roof of Moria, and beneath them lies that great dwarf city. Redhorn, or Carathris, is one of the commonly used passes over the mountains, so long as Carathris is having a good day. Today, however, my travels take me to the High Pass, many leagues north of Moria, adjacent to the Valley of Rivendell. This is the part of the mountains that Turbine has chosen to call Misty Mountains proper. As I said, it's really just the High Pass with some additions and Goblin Town. My first stop is Glowing's Camp, a place I'm rather weirded out by. As we know, Glowing and his son Gimli came across the High Pass from the Lonely Mountain to confer with Elrond and inadvertently found themselves a part of his acclaimed council. It's assumed Glowing went back home afterwards, but in Lotro he's decided to camp out at the top of Kirith and Ladris, the path up from the valley. It's yet another example of the necessary evil of quest hubs. Without Glowing and his party camp where they are, there are no quests to be had in the first leg of our journey up the mountain, and old Glowing himself must stay there, exposed to the elements, as he's an integral part of the epic story. I digress. From Glowing's encampment, we may turn south or east, each way a new turn in this freezing mountain home. Whichever way one chooses, the way is spotted with dwarf ruins wherever you go. To the east and north and to Bruin and Source lies Heligrod, an ancient dwarf keep of turbines fabrication worthy enough, I think, for its own episode. We'll leave that little gem alone for now. South at the High Crag is Gabilazan, another fort now occupied by the wretched Dowerhands, evil dwarves. Further south is the Giant Country, and honestly, there's nothing that interests me down there. In the middle of the High Pass, near Goblin Town, is Frimbarg, where two dwarf brothers abide and make a living hunting and trapping worms. It's one of my favorite spots as the weather gets very nasty there, and entering into a well-lit, albeit small dwarf hall feels cozy every time. But the dwarf keeps, we can assume, were outposts for Moria further south. It's no secret that dwarves love to build, and so it seems likely that some industrious of the stout folk cracked on to the north and slapped together a few keeps for keeping watch on things and guarding the trails of the high pass. It becomes our job, though, to help reclaim the keeps, as well as warn the world that here be evil dwarves. And so goes the history of the mountains. They stood, as rocks tend to do, as an obstacle to be overcome, and were crossed countless times over the many thousands of years of their existence. The most infamous of these crossings involved Thorin and Company, in the tale of The Hobbit, and most everything we know, in terms of physical details, we get from this story. After a refreshing stay at Rivendell, the company sets off into the mountains. At the start, it is a fairly uneventful, if not uncomfortable, journey. Then again, a stay at the Hilton would probably be uncomfortable after leaving Rivendell. But once they reach the High Pass, the storms roll in, and they are forced to take shelter. A note here about the aforementioned giant halls. Turbine took the passage about giants chucking boulders around very literally, and used it as an opportunity to implant one of the most densely populated, dangerous, and annoying zones of the game. Avoid it. It's not fun. Anyway, after much talk of giants, they try to get some sleep and are soon overtaken by goblins who have carved many secret paths into the caves at the east end of the mountains. Below is Goblin Town, in a very particular cave. That, however, is for another episode, and so we'll jump ahead to the end. After they all escape down the mountain, they come to the Valley of the Anduin across from Mirkwood, and then, after an eagle taxi, they are set atop the Carrick. Perhaps the most frustrating part about the Misty Mountains is that this is not in the zone yet. There's only a dead end of mountain wall. 
At the higher elevations, it's cold but beautiful. Mostly, the player travels through broad valleys between peaks, snow-covered and accentuated by the surrounding mountains. The light catches the faces of these stone behemoths, so at dawn and dusk, it makes for some breathtaking moments, not unlike real mountains. Were the days kinder and the powers in the east quieter, Bilbo and Thorin and the rest might have had an enjoyable trek through the misty mountains. It is scenic and everything a dwarf could ask for. Alas, days such as these at the end of the Third Age are dangerous. It makes one look forward to a time not far away from the events of the Lord of the Rings when evil is stopped, goblins begin their pass into memory and myth, and the mountains again are at peace, enjoying their long slumber through the ages. This has been episode 13 of the Beneath Your Feet podcast. As always, I'll be announcing the forthcoming episode on the blog, but because of spring break, there will be at least a one-week delay, so keep your eyes peeled. Once you hear which lands I will be exploring next, please send any questions, comments, screenshots, poems, songs, short stories, anything at all, to shipwreck at lotrobeneathyourfeet.com. For more information on the Misty Mountains and links to this episode's music, check the show notes on my blog at www.lotrobeneathyourfeet.com. From there, you can view old screenshots and episodes, follow on Facebook or Google+, and subscribe on iTunes. Stay tuned, and thank you again for listening. My name is Shipwreck, and we'll see you next time when we go Beneath Your Feet. She holds me, keeps me from worrying